What is going on, sports fans? And welcome back to another episode of Full Steam Ahead. As always, I am your host, Jace Vogel, and we are officially in November. Today's day is November 5th of 2019. Time this recording is just after college basketball's tip-off of Duke versus Kansas. Duke came out with a victory in their first game without R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson, along with Cam Reddish, of course. But right now, the Kentucky Wildcats are facing off against number one seed in Michigan State Spartans. It's looking like a good game right now. We'll have that going on in the background. But we're not going to talk college basketball just yet on the show. Today, we are actually going to focus primarily on NBA. Um, it was been, it's been a couple, couple good weeks of NBA basketball since it's come back. We've seen a lot of you know, tough competition throughout the league, and we are going to actually jump right into one of the best, ah, oh man, one of the best rivalries. I don't know if you'd call it a rivalry, but it's it's definitely something. It's the Lakers-Mavericks game that just happened a couple days ago. Lakers went into overtime with the Dallas Mavericks winning 119-110. to LeBron posted a 39-point, 12-rebound, 16-assist, triple-double, going along with four steals and one block. But it wasn't it wasn't Porzingis that went off for the Mavericks. It was actually the 20-year-old phenom, Luka Doncic, for the Dallas Mavericks. He went out and posted a 31-point, 13-rebound, 15-assist night along with one block. It was a great duel between the two players. It was really exciting. Went to overtime. A lot of big shots were happening. And then overtime happened. And it was all Lakers. Anthony Davis played a pretty big role in that win as well. But it was mostly the LeBron versus Luka show. The old school versus the new school of the NBA, and that is what we're going to be talking about to start off the day. Let's first talk about the age. So Luka Doncic at 20 years old is averaging 26 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, and 1.5 steals in his, in his second season in the NBA. He was picked third overall by the Atlanta Hawks, then traded to the Dallas Mavericks, who had selected uh, Trey Young. I think it... That trade worked out for both teams. I don't know about you guys, but I think it worked out for both teams. And we look at LeBron James's numbers from his 20-year-old, the full season, obviously. 27.7 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, and almost 1 block to go along with 50% shooting with 35% three-point, 75% free throw, 37 total triple-doubles in his career at that time. Uh, I'm sorry, 37 double-doubles in his career at that time, and four triple-doubles in his career at the time to go against Luka Doncic's 28 double-doubles and 11 triple-doubles. And you look at the numbers also, the shooting-wise, 54% for Doncic from the field, 35-3, and 80% from the line. Their numbers are so amazingly similar at their 20-year-old seasons. It's actually kind of surprising to me. And you look at the backgrounds, LeBron came right out of high school, whereas Doncic was basically a professional overseas for most of his uh, his uh, his teenage years. I think he was a pro at 16, I think they said. You know, he, he was already a professional basketball player at the age of 16. I mean, I remember, you know, eating in school lunches at 16, not even thinking about that kind of stuff. And he was already playing professional basketball. So it's just one of those things you have to put into perspective. But this is the question now. Is Doncic now the future of this league? I think he is. I think the league is his to own. I know people are going to say, well, there's still Giannis. There's still Harden. There's still all these other players. And it's like, no, Harden's a little bit past now. He's 31 years old. I understand Giannis is, you know, easily the best, one of the best players in today's game. 
Um, he's unstoppable. He's an MVP candidate year in and year out now. He just came off an MVP season. But I'm sorry, man. I got to give my nod to Luka Doncic when it comes to the future of the league. I mean, this kid is putting up numbers that we've only seen from LeBron James coming in at 20 years old. I mean, this is something we really have to consider. When they battled against each other the other night, it was almost like watching a LeBron versus, I'm not going to say Kobe Bryant, but it was kind of similar feel. It was almost like Idol. It was almost like Kobe and Jordan. It was like Idol versus Youngin, I guess you could say that. I mean, mentor versus men. Yeah, I think that's the word I'm looking for there. So at the end of the game, they embraced, you know, Luka Doncic came out and said, LeBron James was his idol growing up overseas. He played basketball because of LeBron James. And then all of a sudden, his idol walks up and calls him a bad mother effort. Imagine LeBron James coming up to you and saying, after a big win, you're a bad mother effort. I mean, that is incredible. LeBron, that's high praise. I mean, LeBron's one of the top three to ever do it. He's number two in my opinion, but that's just my opinion. And, yeah, when you hear some kind of praise like that to a 20-year-old in the league, and don't get me wrong, the Mavericks, we're going to talk about a little bit later in this episode, they have a lot going for them youth-wise. I mean, they just acquired Porzingis from the Knicks last season in that trade that sent Dennis Smith Jr. over to New York. And this is a team that has a really bright future. I think Doncic is the catalyst of that future. I think he's going to lead that Mavericks team almost as if, I've said it before in past episodes, almost like a Nash and Nowitzki kind of style of play when it comes to, you know, Porzingis and Doncic. And Mark Cuban actually already had come out earlier in the season and said, we kind of messed up what happened with Steve and Dirk. We're not going to make that same mistake. So when you hear a, a uh, an owner say that, come out publicly and say something like that, that really gives you hope that they're going to keep these two together for as long as it takes, as much money as it takes, and as long as everybody stays healthy. I'm looking at you, Chris Stops. This team could be a dynasty waiting to happen if they just acquire a couple more pieces, a couple more shooters. Um, obviously, they're still young. Porzingis at 22, Doncic at 20. There's still time. So, But right now, I think it's Doncic's league. I, I'd love to hear what you guys say about it, but I think next four or five years when we see that post-LeBron era finally set in, it's going to be Luka's Western Conference, in my opinion. I really do. Kid's a stud. He's a baller. I'm a fan. I think his performance the other night almost stole me away from the New York Knicks fandom after just watching him play. I mean, I'm such a – oh, I'm a closet Mavericks fan for the rest of the season. I'm going to root for them in the Western Conference the rest of the year, even though they didn't get that win. But all all uh, all statistics aside, Doncic is a beast. He's going to be the future of this league. I can't wait to see this kid develop into one of the best basketball players, hopefully to ever play the game. So, moving forward, I told you we were going to talk more about Porzingis and some of these other players. Let's talk about the evolution of the big man. So, for anybody that isn't really familiar with what a big man is in the NBA, it's usually someone that's over 7 feet tall, primarily a center, sometimes a stretch power forward. And you look at how far we've come in the league. I mean, you used to see Shaquille O'Neal dominate under the rim. It was always feed the man, low post. Pound it inside basketball. They really couldn't shoot free throws that well. They would rarely, rarely shoot jump shots. And now everything has changed over the years. Over the past, like, 10 years, you've seen a big man evolution kind of happen. You're seeing a lot of those traditional big men start to die, Greg Monroe being one of them, who was a huge factor at one point for the, I believe it was the Milwaukee Bucks. 
until he became more of a swingman because his game just didn't translate into today's NBA. So when we look at this, you think of players like Carl Anthony Towns, former number one overall pick on the Minnesota Timberwolves, Joel Embiid, rising superstar on the superstar on the Philadelphia 76ers, Nikola Jokic, a young man out of Serbia playing for the Denver Nuggets, and obviously who I mentioned before in this episode, Kristaps Porzingis, big man out of Dallas. And you look at each four of these individuals that I mentioned, and each one of them is over seven feet tall. And now let's just look at some of the numbers and the shooting numbers especially for each of these players. So we're going to start with Carl Anthony Towns because, in my opinion, I believe he is one of the better of the four when it comes to long-range shooting and more more long-range shooting, pull-up jumpers, especially three-point jumpers. You've seen his uh, three-point percentage skyrocket this year. I'll get into it right now. But so far th- in his career, Carl Anthony Towns has averaged 22 points, 12 rebounds, about two assists, .8 steals and one and a half blocks to go along with. Now listen to the stat. Just to put into clarification for everybody, I know I'm kind of talking fast tonight. The league average for three-point shooting is 36%. And when you think three-point shooters, you think of players like Steph Curry, uh, Clay Thompson, you know, shooting guards, point guards, just to name, I mean, I'm just naming a few here. First that come to mind when you think of three-point shooters, Kyle Korver, Joe Ingles, all these kind of players. Even sometimes a small four will go out and you know stretch the four a little bit, but I'm talking centers and big men right now. League average of 36% for those kind of players, but we're looking right now. Carl Anthony Towns in his career has a 40% three-point shooting percentage. That is 4% above league average. That is insane for a center. He's 7 feet I think he's what seven one. I think they listed him at seven foot one. He's doing pull up jumpers. He's he's got insane dribble moves as well. That's something the statistics won't show you. He can dribble so well for being a big man. He's very versatile around the arc and inside. Uh, and then you look at his free throw percentage: eighty three percent from three uh, from free throws, and then one career triple double. I say triple double because mostly you see centers unless you're named Hakeem Olajuwon or uh, David Robinson. These players particularly don't get triple-doubles. They're more of double-double guys, rebounds, and points. But the few I named have obviously had triple-doubles and even a quadruple-double out of David Robinson. So, yeah, Carl Anthony Downs only has one of those triple-doubles to his name in his career. So we're going to keep moving here to my next player. Same draft class, number four overall pick in the same draft class. Kristaps Porzingis went from Knicks to Dallas Mavericks. He's averaged Obviously, these past couple of years have been a little bit of lost scenes with the injuries and with the Knicks' just inability to keep this man healthy. Um, 18.7 rebounds and assists, a little bit under one steal, and two blocks. And he's seven foot two. Now he's seven. What I think he's seven, seven two. I believe he's he's one of the taller of the of the four we're going to be mentioning tonight. And his shooting clips are looking at 43% from the field, 36%, which is the league average from three-point percentages, and 80 from the free throw line. He has never recorded a triple-double, however. And he's another one. Huge. He's a power forward. He's not even a center. He's a very big stretch forward. He is a unicorn. A lot of people have called him a unicorn because of how he can stretch the floor. He actually won the skills challenge a couple years back with the New York Knicks, which is a passing, shooting, and dribbling uh, dribbling kind of competition, and he won it at 7-3, and that's a competition that includes guards and small forwards as well. 
So for to have a guy that's seven foot three being able to do all of that, you've never really seen something like that before. I mean, obviously we've seen highlight videos of like Shaquille O'Neal dribbling down the court, but it looks ugly. It looks clunky. He makes it look kind of easy when he does this kind of thing. Um, yeah, he's another one leading that revolution of just the new age of the big man, and I love that. I love that he's able to just go out and do almost everything on the court. He can even play pretty decent defense. Um, with the injury and everything, his blocks numbers went down a little bit this season, but coming out of the gates, I mean, he averaged like yeah two a game when he like first came into the league. He was he was a beast at the rim. So that is the Porzingis shooting clip. Moving forward, let's look at Embiid's compared to them. So his are a little bit different. He is on the border of a traditional and new age because of his shooting percentages, and we're going to get into that right now. Joel Embiid is averaging 24 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, under a steal, and 2 blocks with a 48% clip from the field, 31% from 3, which is a little bit below league average, but kind of above for the center position especially. He's 7 foot, and he is from the free throw line 79% with 2 triple doubles to his name. And why I think this is the most intriguing, I think he's one of the most intriguing is because of the lost seasons when he first got to Philadelphia. Let's all remember he had that foot injury that kept him sidelined for his first year. Then he had another injury that kept him sidelined for another year. People thought he was going to be a bust out of Kansas. He really wasn't getting minutes. It wasn't looking good for his career. Then all of a sudden, when he got healthy, he was almost on like a load management uh, minutes reduction. And he went out and he averaged historic numbers for only playing like at the time, it was almost like not even a full game. It was like 20, 20, 20 minutes even. And he'd averaged like 22 points in 20 minutes, and it was something insane like that. So he's one of those guys that is just a perennial all-star for the future, I should say. If he stays healthy, keeps everything together, and just wins basketball games, we're going to be talking about this guy with the likes of Hakeem Olajuwon, Shaquille O'Neal, as one of those dominant centers in today's game. He does it inside, does it outside. He's a great basketball player, and he distributes the ball pretty well for his size. Speaking of a man that is great at distributing the ball, this guy is a machine. He is from Serbia. He's probably the most unathletic guy I've, I've seen in today's NBA at the center position. He's one of those guys that's just a big man. He is Nikola Jokic, and he plays for the Denver Nuggets. He's seven feet tall, coming out of Serbia. He was one of those guys that the Nuggets kind of took late in the first round didn't expect this kind of all-star production. No one really thought this was going to be a thing. They thought he was going to be more of a role player behind, at the time, Yusuf Nurkic. And then after ownership kind of made that decision to let Nurkic walk and allow Jokic to kind of become that you know, next franchise center, um, he's, he, it's paid off great. He's averaging in his career 16 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists. 5 assists, that's the most of the four here. One steal and less than a block. I mentioned that because his defense is kind of lacking because of his unathletic ability to kind of get to the rim. He's more of just like a big buy to kind of just stand there, get in the way of people because of his size. And then we look at his shooting percentages. Nikola Jokic from the field is 52%. From three-point, he's 34%, which is a little bit below league average, but it's still very impressive for how he kind of gets to the outside, I guess. He's not one for really moving around that much but he he you know he's amazing at it and he's shooting 82 percent from free throw and this is the number that I found astonishing when I looked this up in the basketball pro reference guide 
He has 30 triple doubles to his name, and he's only 24 years old. All right? He didn't even start all that much his rookie season. He kind of had to earn that over Yusuf Nurkic at the time. So when we look at those numbers, I mean, you see Towns with one, Porzingis had zero, Embiid had two. Then you jump right to uh, Jokic with 30 triple doubles as a center? That's unheard of. He's a machine. He's a great ball. To, he's actually one of the best big man passers we have in today's game. He's great at distributing the ball. He's a huge catalyst to what the Nuggets kind of do with that Mike Malone-style offense. Even though he's more prided for defense, his offense is ran through a center in Nikola Jokic. It's almost like a point center kind of position that he's been playing so far in his early career in the NBA. These four players are leading a huge revolution to the next big man, in my opinion. It's Everybody used to think, all right, big men are going extinct. It's all shooters now. Not at all. It's just that the big men are now becoming the shooter, and that's dangerous. Because you know how dominant they could be inside and on defense. You give these people jump shots for the future, and it translates to the college game well. They're going to be just dangerous. They're going to be just point centers, uh, demigods, if if you want to use that as a uh, as a 2K kind of comparison there. So that is what I mean when I say the big man is evolving. Now, moving more into what is going on in today's NBA news, the Golden State Warriors, the dynasty of the 2010s, they, uh, they're coming off a summer where they lost one of the best players in NBA history, Kevin Durant, to free agency and an Achilles tear. They lost their one of their amazing, amazing perimeter defenders, three-point shooters, catalyst for that Warriors offense, Clay Thompson doing an Achilles injury. He's probably going to be out for the rest of t- this year. Then you have Steph Curry earlier last week. Breaking his hand on a hard fall, he's going to be out for three months. And then, to top it all off, you have the likes of people like Draymond Green, defensive anchor for that team, out three weeks with a thumb injury. And then you have D'Angelo Russell, who's day-to-day with an ankle injury. So all four of the players be- uh, of the Warriors' best players are now injured. One's gone in Brooklyn. He isn't even playing this year because of his Achilles tear. I'm sorry, uh, Thompson tore his ACL, not his Achilles. Just to clarify that, got the two mixed up there. But regardless, it has been a disaster for them this season. They are 1-5 in the NBA. They, Their defense is terrible. Their offense looks stagnant because of the injuries. They have no real direction. So that's going to be asking the question, should they just tank? I mean, honestly, do they really have a chance to make this uh, to make the playoffs in this loaded Western Conference this year? They don't. Um, with the extent of these injuries, they don't have a chance to make the playoffs anymore with how well the other teams in the Western Conference have been playing. And there's reasons why they should. There's reasons why they're, they, they should not tank. I don't believe they should tank. I believe they should just ride this out, let their young stars play, see what happens, wait for these veterans to come back. Who knows? Anything can happen in the NBA, in my opinion. But in the Western Conference, most things are predetermined. So we're going to look at reasons why they should just tank first. Now, these are all my opinions and my theories as to why they should tank. So, as I mentioned before, all four of their star players, one acquired from the Brooklyn Nets, D'Angelo Russell, are all injured for some time. Obviously, Clay and Curry extended periods of time. And that is one of the main reasons why I believe they should just tank. They have no star right now. They got to let the young guys play. Uh, there's been good signs, though. There's been bright signs, and we're going to get to that a little bit later in the segment. 
and yeah, you have no star player right now. There's no real direction. The defense looks atrocious. There's no reason why you should rush rush these players back from injury. There's no reason why you have to do it. Um, you're not going to make the playoffs this season. You should just play play the waiting game. So why I say that, the core needs to retool. All right, As I mentioned before, Durant is gone. Curry out, Clay out, Draymond out. D'Angelo Russell, a young guy, he's going to have to plug in immediately as a point guard. He can still lead a very – you saw how he led the Brooklyn Nets team last season. That's not any comparison to that kind of uh, that kind of team organization that they've got going on over there. But D'Angelo Russell has been known to lead these kind of teams that don't have a, a second star, I should say. So when he comes back, that'll be interesting to see how that all works out. But like I said, in the Western Conference, there's no real reason why you shouldn't tank. Um, if you're not, if you're not in a contention right now, you're not going to be in contention at the end of the year. I I say that very sparingly because there's some teams I think that can just turn it around. But when your top players and primary primarily your offense is just out for more than three months, almost the entire season, that's a big chunk, especially in the first half of the year. That's why I believe they should just tank it out. And yeah, the retooling. There's gonna be a good, it's gonna be a good free agent class. Giannis is gonna be a free agent this season. Imagine if they could lure Giannis to Golden State. That would be absurd if they were able to get Giannis with Curry and Clay. That would be absolutely absurd. It's a possibility. That's why I say don't tank. Let Giannis see that these young players can become role players. Because if they see that, it's almost like what Kawhi did with the Clippers. Kawhi noticed that the Clippers organization was just being very well run. They weren't trying to tank, even though they didn't have a clear All Star last season. But they still played really well with what they had with Montrezl Harrell, with Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams off the bench. He saw that and thought, hey, I can make this team a, a contender. Then he added Paul George into the mix. I mean, it's it's the Kawhi effect. So if the Warriors are able to prove to a player like Giannis, who's looking for that max, hey, we can still kind of win. We're not going to tank. You should join us. You can make us better. And... What better pitches? Okay, you're one of the best inside scorers in the game and defenders. Let me pair you up with the best outside shooter in the game with Thompson and Curry. So that's a huge pitch for them. And Steve Kerr's amazing at luring free agents there, as you can see from Kevin Durant going there. And, you know, there's a lot of history. So those are the reasons why I believe they shouldn't tank, all right? Or they, why they, sh- yeah, why they shouldn't tank. Yeah, that makes, a, that makes some sense. All right. Another reason, some more reasons why. I think I kind of messed that up a little bit, but we're just going to roll with it. So reasons why they shouldn't tank. As I mentioned, the Giannis Giannis point is why they shouldn't tank. Another reason why they shouldn't tank, it's early. It is still early. You're only six, seven games through the season. Even though you have all of your players hurt and out, your coach has no direction to go with offensively or defensively. New, new arena, all that kind of stuff goes into play. You don't have to worry about that right now. When we get towards Christmas time, yes, you can start worrying about if you're still at the bottom of the leaderboard, get out, all right? You got to tank. You got to just play your young guys, see what happens, roll with it. Whatever pick you get is whatever pick you get. Another reason why there's only really, yeah, tanking just doesn't work anymore. You saw what happened with the Knicks last year, especially the Suns last year, who had another terrible season last year. 
and they actually got stuck with, like, what, the fifth pick, sixth pick, maybe even lowered. They had to settle for Cam Johnson when they had ability to get John Morant. I mean, there's only a 14% chance for picks one, two, and three to get that number one pick. Also with a 12.5% chance for the fourth pick. So tanking doesn't really work anymore. I don't understand why you don't just play it out, see what happens, play hard. The basketball gods will always reward you if you play hard. That's just how it is. Look at the New Orleans Pelicans. They got Zion. Hopefully that's a blessing still. We don't know because he still hasn't played. Another reason why they shouldn't tank, their head coach is against it, their front office is against it. Don't tank if everybody's against it, all right? You're a great franchise in the 2010s. You just got to retool, be patient, see what happens next season. If everything goes well, I don't see why this Warriors team next year can't contend again. I really don't. If they're able to keep that core of players for one or two more years, they're still going to be contenders. They just need that one big splash to either happen in the draft or free agency. And after what I saw from the Duke, uh, not Duke game, but from Kentucky, uh, the Memphis game, I'm sorry, the Memphis game, it's going to be looking like a race for James Wiseman, the center out of Memphis. He looked great uh, this game in college basketball. So those are some reasons why I don't believe they should tank. You guys have your opinions. I have mine. I would love to hear your opinions as to why they should or shouldn't tank because it's kind of a big story right now. The unbelievably amazing 73-win team Warriors are now back to back to earth. They're back to the 14th spot in the West. So there's a lot of play uh, factors that go into play when you discuss stuff like that. Now, we're going to close the segment out with a top 10. My first ever top 10 for this year's NBA season. And we're going to actually start from 10. Actually, no, no, no. I'm going to start from 1 through 10. All right, we're going to save suspense. Uh, we're going to start off with the Los Angeles Lakers. They had a they had a game tonight, but at the time of this recording, they were 5-1. and one. The reason why they're number one, let's face it, their defense has been actually very good this year. LeBron's finally playing defense again. And Anthony Davis, I think, is a big part as to why he's playing defense again. He has been phenomenal. He's Defensive Player of the Year candidacy already. I'm talking Anthony Davis, obviously, not LeBron, but LeBron has been playing great defense, and the team has bought into what him and Anthony Davis has been doing. You have the likes of Kuzma back. Danny Green's been shooting the ball excellently well, and LeBron's finally starting to get more comfortable in the point guard role for the Los Angeles Lakers. So as of right now, I don't see why they move from my top spot today. All right, we're going to do this next week as well. Coming in at number two, out of the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers, who were at one point undefeated until, uh, I think, late earlier this week, the Suns gave them their first loss. We're going to talk about them a little bit later in this. So the 76ers with the core of Embiid, Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Al Horford, do I need to say more as to why they're number two? They're playing in a weak Eastern Conference. There's no reason why they can't be the top seed come at the end of the season. It's early. But right now, they're number two and also number one out of the East. Number three, the Los Angeles Clippers. And now people are going to say, why you have them at three and, and not two? Well, right now, the only thing holding them back from being in the second spot for me is the load management of Kawhi Leonard. Because in games he hasn't played, they've really struggled. And without Paul George, obviously active yet. That's kind of holding the back as well when they do those load management games, which is kind of ridiculous to be doing this early in the season, in my opinion. But right now they're 5-2, and two, and I think the two losses were because Kawhi wasn't playing or Kawhi just hadn't played a lot. 
So that is the reason why they're not number two or number one is because without Kawhi right now, the Clippers are a little bit struggling to find their identity of last season. Great defensive team. I'm sure they're going to move up as soon as Paul George gets activated. But right now we're going to keep them safe, keep them in the top three, and we're going to keep moving on. So at number four, led by the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks are in at number four, coming out of that Eastern Conference at 5-2 and two to start the year. And the reason why they're a little bit lower than the 76ers and Clippers is mostly because where has Chris Middleton been this season, man? I have heard nothing from anybody on that team besides Giannis. I feel like it's been a one-man team to start it off. Um, I could be wrong. I haven't really seen a lot of the Milwaukee Bucks playing, obviously, because when do you ever see them on TV, even though they had the MVP last season? I uh, haven't really seen much from them. And with Middleton kind of just being MIA, it hurts their chances of being higher on my list, and it could honestly help help another team hop them as time goes on. So that's one of the reasons why they're only at number four. But number five, Boston, the Boston Celtics. They just got a huge win. They're now, I think they're now five and one or six and one, top seed in the East, along with the 76ers now. But they're in at number five because, all right, I'm not hating on the Boston Celtics. All right, I just don't think they're all that great right now. They're not at their full potential right now. All right, even though you've had strong performances, especially tonight with Gordon Hayward's 39-point explosion, career high, he's back. Kemba's playing a lot better than he did early in the season, but he's still kind of shaky. And their youth, their youth has improved immensely since Kyrie Irving left for Brooklyn. Jason Tatum looks so much more comfortable playing basketball again. I think he's going to start to develop more this season after that kind of a wasted year last year for him. Even though he got playoff experience, I still think it was kind of like a down year for Jason Tatum after his rookie season. So that is a main reason why the Celtics are number five, but I'm sure they're going to move up into the top three, depending on what kind of shakeup happens in the near future with the Bucks, 76ers, and Clippers. But right now, no one's demoting the Los Angeles Lakers, let's be honest. I think they actually came back from being like down 20 tonight, and I think they won that game against uh, Chicago. So they might be 6-1 and one by the time this goes out. So moving forward, the bottom five of the list, Coming at number six, it's kind of, it's uh, this is a little bit controversial for a lot of people, but I'm going to have to put the Denver Nuggets in at number six. So why they're at number six. So we all know Mike Malone is a defensive-minded coach. Right now, they really haven't been playing great defense. That's why they're only four and two in that tough, tough, tough Western Conference. But why they're a little bit above the Miami Heat, because they will be the next team discussed. Michael Porter Jr.'s return is very interesting for this team. And for many people that don't know who Michael Porter Jr. is, he was actually, I'm going to go way back here, he was actually men's basketball player of the year twice coming out of high school. He went to Missouri, had a couple injury-riddled seasons, showed flashes of potential. I mean, this guy, he had so much potential coming out of high school and college. He was at one point labeled as the number one pick in that draft. But obviously, injuries happened. He didn't play a he didn't play a game last year because of a hip injury. He was almost out this year as well with an ankle injury, just to clarify. And he finally played some minutes in his debut. I think he had like 13 points, six rebounds. I mean, he played great. He showed that flash that he had in high school. I can't wait to see what happens with them because I think they're going to move up that list immensely if his role starts to become more increased. And obviously, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, they're playing very well to start the season. Uh, Gary Harris struggling a little bit, but 
it's a, it's it's expected from streaky shooters like Gary Harris. Great playmaker though. Coming at number seven, as I mentioned, the five and one Miami Heat. Who would have thought? I mean, after, I mean, we all expected this to be a rebuild mode after the Dwayne Wade departure last season. His farewell tour, I thought, kind of sparked the need for a rebuild in Miami after kind of being spoiled with teams going along with LeBron James, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. But they went out and grabbed Jimmy Butler anyways in free agency. I believe it was free agency. They grabbed him. And they also drafted a stud I've mentioned before on the show, Tyler Hero. And then there's their center, Bam Adebayo, who actually has a great defensive rating to start off the season. He's one of the top players in the league defensively. They play so well together. And I'm also going to mention undrafted rookie Kendrick Nunn has been a stud for them coming out of the G League. He's a little bit older. I think he's 24 years old, but he's still technically a rookie. He's been putting up great numbers. Actually was uh, in the same air as Kevin Durant through his first couple of games. He actually scored 112 points to Kevin Durant's 113 coming out of the gates in his career. So that's kind of interesting to talk about, but obviously nowhere near Kevin Durant. But it's a cool stat. It's helped their team get to 5-1. and one. I think the Miami Heat will start to go down a little bit as the year goes on. But right now, let's just enjoy it. They're playing very well to start the season. Coming in at number 8, the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, the Phoenix Suns are actually the number 8 team on my top 10. I would have never thought, honest to God, I never thought I was going to say that this season. I thought the Suns were going to be right back where they were last year, contending for that last place spot in the West. Like here they are. They're above the Cl- they're tied with the Clippers in the Pacific standings in the West. Devin Booker, young guy out of Kentucky, 26 points per game. You have your assist leaders rookie Rubio who's been a kind of a swingman coming out of Minnesota, getting traded around a little bit. Now he's with Min- uh, with Phoenix. And you're doing all this without DeAndre Ayton who is out after failing a drug test with a banned substance in his yeah, in his urine test. So Without Aiton, number one overall pick, they're still five and two, and their only two losses were by one point. That's all. They could easily be seven and zero, and they beat the undefeated 76ers on the road. All right. So obviously, I don't know how long this is going to last, but if they can kind of keep this play up, it could make things very interesting in the Lakers-Clippers division to go along with the demise of Golden State and the constant demise of Sacramento Luke Walton you're not the man for the job I'm sorry but all jokes aside the Suns coming at number uh, number eight number nine my uh my new favorite team almost I'm not gonna lie the Dallas Mavericks I'm gonna put at number nine that's no bias they've played great they're four and two fifth seed in the Western Conference behind 20 year old Luka Doncic who I discussed earlier in this episode and Kristaps Porzingis, their pick-and-pop game has looked fantastic. Both have played very big roles at a young age to make this Dallas Mavericks team contenders. The only thing holding them back right now is that, A, they really don't have the support that many uh, many contending teams have. They need more shooters. Their guard play, they need a new point guard, in my opinion, J.J. Barea. Still not the answer for them. They need a point guard. they got to look for one, hopefully via trade before the deadline, because if they make a trade... For like a Chris Paul, just to throw that name out there, that could make that team an instant contender in the Western Conference with a point guard like Paul, a facilitator like Luka Doncic, and a unicorn 
in Kristaps Porzingis. They technically have two unicorns playing the game right now. Both are playing absolutely amazing at young ages. I'm so excited for their future, and hopefully we can see something happen in the near in this season. So hopefully they kind of go up the go up the board as the year goes on. But last team number ten, your your 2018 NBA champions, the Toronto Raptors, coming in at four and two on the year. I gotta say it, Pascal Siakam proved me wrong. He really proved me wrong. I didn't think when they gave him that money he was gonna do much without Kawhi Leonard being there. I thought Kawhi Leonard was a big reason as to why. He developed so well last year in that championship run in the finals. I didn't think he was going to do what he did without Kawhi. And here he is. He's averaging great numbers to go along with Kyle Lowry's numbers. Um, Powell's been playing very well. Coming off the bench, Fred Van Vliet. I believe he's, I believe he's, yeah, he's he's playing very well. Even though he, you know, he's had a couple bad games coming out of the year. But he's still a huge piece of that team. He's going to get it going eventually I think they're going to move up my list as the year goes on but the things that hold them back obviously playing in that weak eastern conference it's pretty easy to to thrive when you're in eastern conference with most of the last place teams in your own division so after clarifying we're going to go just to sum it up here one Lakers two 76ers three Los Angeles Clippers four Milwaukee Bucks five Boston Celtics to go along with the six Denver Nuggets seven Miami Heat Eight Dallas Mavericks, around, uh, I'm sorry, eight uh, Phoenix Suns, and then rounding out the bottom of this list with the Mavericks and Toronto Raptors at 9 and 10, respectively. Hopefully, as time goes on, certain teams move up, and hopefully certain teams don't move down because I'm sure a lot of these teams aren't going to be in my top 10 much longer. I'm looking at you, Phoenix. This might be a little bit of a fluke for you guys. Enjoy it while it lasts, but I hope it isn't. Devin Booker's a beast. I really hope, really hope you guys stick with it. But... Yeah, t- this this episode was going to be a little bit shorter tonight. I knew that was going to be the case, but a couple announcements here. How about them Cowboys coming out of Monday Night Football last night? Huge win over the New York Football Giants and Daniel Danny Dimes, I guess people still call him. I don't know why. Uh, turnover prone. He's like Eli with fumbles in my opinion. So, yeah, Dallas 37 to the Giants 6. I think it was what, 18? Yeah, thirty-seven to eighteen or something like that. It's around the around that uh, that score gap. But yeah, Dallas looked great coming off the bye. Just to sum that up, defense played pretty well at times. Starting off the game very sloppy, but Dak Prescott once again showing why he's my he's our quarterback of the future, and I'm happy about it. Zeke had a hundred yard performance, and Amari Cooper. Just to sum it up, I always talk about fantasy football after every episode for you guys. I was in a game against a 7-0-1. For many of you that know, my team is also 7-0-1. That's the guy I tied. We were both unbeaten coming in. Regardless, we're in the same division. I was down by, at one point, one singular point. In the fourth quarter with Amari Cooper playing, and then I was sweating it out, and I had benched a defense that had actually given me eight more points than the defense I started. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, if I lose, I, I could have won this game if I just made one adjustment. And all of a sudden, I just see Dak Prescott fire a ball over the middle of the field. Amari Cooper, 41 yards, touchdown, walk-off win. Walk it off, Amari Cooper. You made me an undefeated man. I love it. I was talking shit the whole night to this guy. Never met him in person, but I was talking shit to him anyways, so... Good on you, Amari Cooper and the Dallas Cowboys, for winning me that fantasy football matchup. 
So now that we're at the end of the episode, I do want to just add, this is episode 11, and we are over 300 views worldwide. Four different countries have listened in. I thank you all with over 20 states, and none of this is possible without fans and social media and the spreading of information. I'm so grateful for you guys. I love doing what I do. And I'm going to keep doing it because this is something that I am very passionate about. And this is something I want to make into a career one day. So hopefully, 10 years down the road, this this show is not just something I'm making in my bedroom at 10 o'clock at night with some free time. So that is where I want to end it. So I just wanted to give you guys a shout out. Thank you for all the, uh, the support and making the show what it is today. So that's where we're going to end it. Big news coming up. Hopefully next week I'll give you guys some more big news. But for right now... We're going to end it here. Have a great night, everybody. I hope your fantasy football teams came out with a big win. I hope some of your teams were on this list I mentioned earlier in the episode. Everybody, have a great night. Have a great week. Peace out.